Welcome to In a Warming World, a podcast that critically examines cultural narratives that minimize climate change in order to reveal how ecological social change is not only possible, but necessary. I'm Moira Marquis, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I'm Sarah Marak from FAU Erlangen-Nürnberg. This episode addresses how climate change is a global phenomenon that does not respect national borders. In fact, people with a comparatively tiny carbon footprint ironically suffer more from climate change's effects than those responsible for the majority of emissions. Finding a solution to mitigate these effects should thus be an international effort to ensure the well-being of all our planet's inhabitants. However, national discourses about climate change are also rooted in cultural narratives and peculiarities which often hinder a transcultural shared understanding of how to tackle this issue. In this episode, students from FAU and UNC compare German and US narratives of climate skepticism and discuss culture specific as well as transcultural understandings of climate change. This project has been generously supported by UNC Chapel Hill's Vice Provost for Global Affairs and the Chancellor's Global Education Fund through a collaborative online learning grant. Hi everyone, my name is Chelsea Deidelswag and I'm a third year English major and chemistry minor at UNC from New Orleans, Louisiana. This is my first time truly delving into the topic of climate skepticism and after completing the readings for this unit, I took particular interest in the different role that religion plays in German and evangelical skepticism, which I didn't know the causes or specifics of before. I also enjoyed comparing the platforms provided to minority skeptics in Germany and the US because as someone who's only ever lived in the United States, the idea of a cohesive and generally united opinion in Germany is pretty foreign to me. I enjoyed but was somewhat frightened by reflecting on the implications of allowing a much smaller skeptic group in the United States to have a majorly persuasive voice on the topic of climate change. And a large portion of this platform seems to be coming from social media. So I look forward to discussing if these outlets could be effectively used to find common ground values on the topic of climate change and humanity's role within it. Hey everyone, my name is Sam Johnson and I'm a third year student here at UNC majoring in biology and public policy. I'm originally from Wilmington, North Carolina, which is right on the coast, but I'm really excited and enjoy living here in Chapel Hill too. Since high school, I've been pretty aware and conscious of climate change and environmentalism, and I truly think it's one of the largest challenges of our generation. As such, I'm really excited to discuss the intersection between skepticism of climate change and how it varies across different cultural groups. Many of my ancestors immigrated from Germany two to three centuries ago, so I'm especially excited to have this discussion with German students, especially discourse concerning climate skepticism in Germany, similarities and differences between the religious roots of skepticism that exist between our two countries. Hey, what's up guys? Uh, my name is Cassidy Dellinger and I'm a psychology and English double major with a music minor here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, this is my second year at the university, but I have lived in North Carolina all my life in a town named Garner. It's about an hour away from the university. Um, after digging into some of the readings and delving more into the idea of climate skepticism for the unit, as Chelsea said earlier, uh, I have become more familiar and intrigued with the concept of naturalistic perspective romanticism playing into country identity as well as obligation to promote environmentalism. Uh, alongside one's identity, I have also been pulled in by the availability U.S. citizens have to express their sense of environmentalism or lack thereof, whilst uh, German citizens have much less of an opportunity to broadcast views that stem from the national identity of promoting environmental policy as well as growth. Hi, um, my name is Emily Murray. I'm a third year biology and English double major with a minor in chem at UNC. I'm from Wilkesboro, North Carolina, which is a small, small, small town in Western North Carolina between Boone and Winston-Salem. Uh, looking at climate change skepticism through a critical lens is new to me and I find it very interesting and I've really enjoyed these readings for this class so far. And I personally grew up surrounded by like-minded people with very little wiggle room for different ideas. And the reading from the gospel introduction really stood out to me in that respect. 
because I'm able to look back on my Christian upbringing and my childhood in church and recognize the underlying political themes and issues that were brought up in uh, church services. Hey guys, my name is Michael Tooten. I'm a fourth year student, uh, double major um, in sports administration and English. I'm from Jacksonville, North Carolina, which is a military-based town right on the beach. Yeah, I've never taken a class like this. Um, so before this class, I really hadn't given climate change this much thought, um, which is, I guess, bad, but it's good that I'm learning now. The readings provided me with valuable insight, um, and I've taken a particular interest in the alternative avenues of skepticism, such as social media. Uh, in the U.S., climate skepticism is broadcasted on major news networks and other major media, um, but it is also voiced by major figureheads on social media. I'm curious if the skeptical discourse we often see on social media is also seen by users in other nations. Um, how much traction these tweets or posts get and how the general public views the voice skepticism on those outlets. Hi guys, my name is Rachel Reynolds and I'm a first year student majoring in psychology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And although this is only my first year in Chapel Hill, I've spent my entire life in North Carolina, more specifically in the small town of West Jefferson, which is just outside of Boone. And coming from a small town, climate skepticism is a huge problem that I witnessed every single day. Whether it was classmates, community members or relatives, my opinions on climate change were consistently questioned, which is a huge reason why I'm so interested in this particular topic. As we learned in the gospel reading, American skeptics largely fall under a specific category, which is evangelistics. However, it appears as if German skeptics cannot be so easily categorized. And it'll be interesting to discuss the fundamental differences between skeptics in the US and skeptics in Germany and what factors influence this. Hi, I'm Tabitha Elkins. I'm a dual national with US and German citizenship. And I'm currently studying English, American studies and the history of Christianity in Erlangen, Germany. This is my first year in Erlangen, but I've also studied music in New York City and I studied theology and political science in Mainz. And I'm also a blogger, a musician and political activist. Having lived in both the United States and Germany and having relatives in both countries, I can see how people's cultural and religious attitudes affect their perspective. The recent events in the US both during and after the election are the culmination of many years of corporate interference in science, religion and politics. So I think it'll be really interesting to discuss how these areas of influence converge in the climate change debate. Hi, my name is Hannah Perret. I'm a fourth year student at FAU. I major in Scandinavian studies and do a minor, minor in American studies. I'm originally from Munich, but I grew up near Nuremberg and I also seem to be the only 100% German representative on this episode. And also I guess the only person who's never been to the US. So I am particularly looking forward to your perspectives. I've encountered eco-criticism a few times during my studies, but I've never looked so closely at climate skepticism as we do today. So I guess we should get going. Awesome, thanks everyone. Um, so if you don't mind, I kind of wanted to begin by talking about the climate skeptics in Germany in particular and posing some questions um, to Hannah and Tabitha in particular. Um, so, you know, as we read in Climate Skepsis, even though 12% of people hold skeptical views in the United States and in Germany respectively, these two forms of skepticism differ um, by a lot. And what I was really surprised to read about um, was how German skeptics don't really view themselves as climate change deniers per se, but actually view themselves as quote, critical friends who merely challenge scientists unfounded assumptions um, and demand evidence-based policies. So they tend to view scientists as corrupt for a few reasons, like their apocalyptic rhetoric that they used um, and by viewing them as somewhat self-serving and having that sort of elitism. So it kind of relates to religion in that sense of the 
the rhetoric and also just people accusing people of blindly following them as if they are trusting a religious faith. So um, I kind of just wanted to see if these observations of skeptics seem accurate to to you, uh, Hannah and Tabitha, and what your view has been living in Germany. So I would kind of agree. I would actually go a step further. So I actually discussed this with a friend of mine who studies um, environmental sciences. So just to see if my views align with hers. And I feel like most skepticism, climate skeptics I've encountered don't even go as far as to completely doubt science and to say they're kind of alarmist or whatever. I think the typical climate skeptic I've encountered is more like, oh yeah, climate, climate change exists and oh yeah, it's totally dangerous and um, yeah, whatever, we just go on and live our life as we've always have and like go on plane rides and buy our third car. And so I think I've actually thought about what is worse to have a complete denier who goes like okay no climate change doesn't exist or there's no anthropocentric cause or to have this like general acceptance of the scientific base of climate change but the complete lack of actions to kind of combat climate change or to do any changes in lifestyle yeah and i would say to that that um the united states has a history of polarizing things to either or and you see more nuance here as well in a typical american television show or a news program they often have this format that frames it as either or and it gives the false impression that an equal number of people are for or against whatever you know you would get the impression that half the scientists are believe the whole the whole nine yards of the whole climate change, we've got to do everything to change everything. We've got to, you know, give up our cars and or change over to clean energy or the opposite point of view. And in um, German, in the German media, you tend to see a variety of viewpoints. I actually had a, a follow up off of what Chelsea had asked earlier. Um, so it's definitely more so for Hannah and Tabitha, but if any of my other Chapel Hill peers have a response, I would love to hear it as well. But we were talking about how there's definitely like, Hannah said, she said like the black and white, I guess, climate perspective of is kind of astounding to believe that someone could just totally and completely deny that climate change is occurring. And we definitely do see people like that in the States as to how you said there are people that acknowledge it and just continue about their everyday lives. Um, and so one thing I wanted to throw in about that is we talked about like uh, structure and government or media as Tabitha put it, having a say on climate perspective, but I just wanted to talk about like uh, regionally how perspective can change like within the United States, for example, we are in the South quote unquote, and that obviously has a huge impact on how our general population sees climate change. And I was just wondering how regionally that affects Germany. And I'm not too terribly sure like what different regions you guys are from or currently living, but just like what you experience from like, is there like a like we have an East Coast perspective in the States and a West Coast perspective. Is there something similar over there in Germany? Um, yeah, definitely. That's a great point. Um, you see how in the United States, the areas that are dependent on the oil and coal industry and, and gas industry tend to be um, full of climate change skeptics. And we also see that in um, the German um, like Nordrhein-Westfalen, um, this area which is dependent on coal. And um, there's a financial incentive towards being a climate skeptic. So the question for environmentalists then would be, how can we make it lucrative financially for people in these regions to uh, support climate change, um, anti-climate change, um, initiatives or um, climate um, protection? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would say that it's all in the framing. You know, I, I remember reading what you 
in climate skepsis, what you mentioned that Germany doesn't have this extensive networks of skeptics that are funded by lobbyists and foundations and conservative think tank tanks close to oil industries like the United States does. So there's definitely a large um, financial perspective there. So perhaps um, a shift in the framing in the United States from more of a religious view as the Christian right has put out through mass media and more in a framing of what are our values and how can we align them um, would would do better. And I would be curious to see if anyone has um, ideas of how that could be established. I know that's probably that's like the generational question. So probably not, but uh, wanted to throw that out there. Uh, I'd like to say something about that too. Um, I think when we talk about climate change and say, well, we want to get away from religious arguments, I think, I mean, my uh, boyfriend is a pastor, so I think um, maybe um, the opposite is true, uh, getting more people of faith on board and saying, let's protect our planet. It's the only home we have. Um, and there is a growing movement of that, of, of people of faith saying, um, we are against this concept that religion and science are at odds. There's an American tradition of progressive Christianity. If you know about um, the Beecher family and their gospel of love and how they promoted the idea that religion and, and science are not incompatible, um, if American people could draw upon that tradition, it would be a great way of getting people on board for um, protecting our environment. And um, in Germany, we see that um, both the Catholic and Lutheran churches are actually very outspoken in favor of protecting the environment. Um, I wanted to speak on um, kind of going off what Tabitha said on the um the gospel of climate skepticism reading that we did for class and it pointed out and I could like relate to this a lot because I saw it happening firsthand like in the churches that I grew up in um it can they said that it could be socially risky in the Christian community to like buy into liberal issues because historically Christian Christianity is supposed to have like a conservative Christian view of things and if you come out and say that you buy into these like more liberal sided like there's such a divide so it's like if you buy into the the liberal side of the idea then it's kind of like you're going against the conservative christian views and personally like i in my hometown there's a pastor that everyone like very much respects and like they listen to everything he says and he posted a video on facebook called why christians who identify as liberal christians are hurting true christianity and there were thousands of views, shares, comments, everything. And I'm just like, this is what my hometown thinks. And this is how they like view it because it's being put out there. And it's like, oh, so if you're a liberal, then you're going against Christianity or you like, just, I don't know. It just like kind of demonizes liberal views and makes it such a, like a division, I guess. And that kind of probably is more in the United States. Like we were saying earlier about the like, divide and it being more in the media like there has to be a side and like we give both sides like a a platform I guess and so it's just like um interesting to see that like firsthand happening like you pushing uh like ideas to the side just because they're labeled as like a liberal idea yeah so I kind of want to add on to that since Emily you and I both grew up like so close to each other that it's kind of like a similar situation and I've definitely like experienced like kind of backlash um growing up in church if I ever like expressed anything that wasn't seen as like the traditional like conservative values and I feel like it really goes back to um what was mentioned in the gospel reading um it was a bible quote that said that God promises that as long as the earth remains, that there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. So I feel like that's really like kind of central to this argument. Like how can we make them care about what's going on if, you know, like 
God has promised that the world will continue. Well, as, as somebody who has actually studied theology, it's interesting that most people don't realize that the literal view of Christianity dates back to 1920, not to 20. The church fathers actually taught that the Bible was something spiritual, which meant that it was, there was symbolic and prophetic and, um, and ethical beliefs. The story of Genesis, uh, which was written in Hebrew, um, written for Jewish people, but written for nomadic people living in tents. Um, at the end of the story, it says, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And this was a story that the Jewish people told their children so they would understand why every seven days they would just rest and not work. Interestingly enough, um, nowadays in the last mm, 50 odd years, suddenly people want to see this as a history of how old the earth is, which is kind of missing the point because America is the one country that calls itself a Christian country where literally you can go shopping seven days a week. In Germany, you are not allowed to go to the supermarket on Sunday. It's considered a terrible sin. And if you, if you mow your lawn, if you um, make any noise, the neighbors will knock on the door and they'll say, hey, what are you doing? It's Sunday. Are you crazy? So you see this disconnect between the moral and ethical teachings of the scriptures which is really easy to understand, you know, you know, rest every seven days, and love your neighbor, help the widows and orphans. And, um, and science, science does not teach us ethics and morals. Science teaches us, you know, this plastic is made of some kind of chemical and what are the chemical properties of it. Scientists doesn't exist to give us anything ethical or moral but religion exists for exactly those reasons. And I wonder why um, Christians have gotten so far away from that. Oh, sorry. Can I just say something really quickly because I know people are wanting to speak, but I'm Jewish and I just feel like when I was reading, I had such a, a different perspective than how um, the, the, the evangelical uh, perspective of some of the uh, quotes from Genesis. And um, I think it's just because of, you know, it's the exact questions that you're asking, Tabitha, like, where did this divide happen? Why are there different perspectives on it? Because, um, you know, while, while the quote from Genesis that was talking about God, you know, giving man some, some to rule over the earth and authority in that sense, that's still seen by Christians as no, that means that God is superior. God is almighty. Men or man does not have um, a role. Where I guess from my Jewish upbringing, to me that says I made in the image of God. I do have some, you know, free will and power and can shape the world in that sense. So I was really confused uh, somewhat on on why I had such a different perspective. But it probably comes down to, you know, religious teachings. But I wanted to pass it off to um, to Michael. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, kind of going back to what you said earlier, um, I think it's all about framing. I mean, because, you know, say for like religious conservatives in the, or not conservatives, but religious um, uh, skeptics in the U.S., um, they, whenever it's posed to them as an either or, and it's something that can't coexist with what is already entrenched in their beliefs, it's really hard to convert somebody to like actually, you know, start believing in another thing. So if they're already religious and, you know, they want to uh, continue with, you know, capitalistic uh, America, and then climate change is presented as something that can't coexist with those two things, then obviously you're going to face some backlash and some, some skepticism. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it just, it's just about the framing and how we can, managed to actually frame it in a way where the things they hold um, is their values and their beliefs, where it can actually coexist with um, acknowledging climate change and that change needs to be made. And something I think is really interesting that I've kind of been um, looking into a little bit on the side is 
the differences in attitudes about climate change from the Christian right and the Christian left? Because it kind of, as we were talking about, there really was, there really is kind of like a disconnect between like what both sides believe, even though religiously they are very similar. I think it was maybe Emily or Hannah who had mentioned um, growing up in like a more like conservative church environment. And then as someone who came from perhaps like a more liberal church environment growing up, I think there's, from what I've seen, there's like a fairly large divide between views on climate and views on the environment in general. Because as many of you may be aware, there's always like ongoing campaigns about like banning straws or being making the things like recyclable, biodegradable. And all those things are great because plastic does stay around for years and years. And those are definitely things that um, we need to conquer. But I think maybe Christianity as a whole, when looking at like climate and environmental issues, looks to things like straws. And they're like, oh, well, we can do that. We can think about like maybe not using a straw because that's easy. But something Tabitha kind of brought up was the inherent connection between the religious the religious groups and corporations and how in reality, a lot of what is causing climate change, as we can see, isn't people using straws or people are pulling or people not carpooling to work. A lot of it is corporations who are kind of polluting the environment and are like the primary cause of this climate issue that we've been seeing since, well, since the industrial revolution. And so I'm just interested in thinking about, I wonder how can we capitalize on the discussion of environmentalism and want to like protect our local environment and extend that in a greater scale to talking about how climate can also be, um, well, climate um, skepticism and climate um, supports, I guess, can be um, further advocated against and advocated for, respectively, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think the point you make up, um, that you bring up about the left and the right and Christianity is a really important one, because I think, you know, people who maybe aren't part of those communities are part of one, but not the other, tend to lump everyone into one being or one way of thinking. And I, and, you know, when reading the, the gospel, um, reading, I noticed the statistic that only 29% of white evangelicals actually support the Christian right. But, you know, from a generalized perspective, if you are thinking of Christian skepticism as a gener generalized um, group of people, you're going to think of the Christian right extreme beliefs when there actually is a division, as you say, Sam. So, I mean, I think a large part of that is just how it's become part of their agenda of this climate skepticism and how they've made a point to to project that. Um, but, you know, realizing that there's other perspectives within this denomination is equally as important to recognize. I think it's also very easy, like being in North Carolina, like I grew up in North Carolina my whole life. I go to college in North Carolina. Like I'm so engulfed, I've been I'm so engulfed in the culture here that it's like, that's how I like see it. Cause we're so like heavily saturated with the conservative Christian views that it's like, it, it is easy to forget, like you're saying that there are other views. And then like, for us to like lump all Christians into the same thing is kind of kind of not good. But speaking from like my personal experience and then Rachel was saying like from her experience, like we've been in the the not so great side of um, the Christianity skepticism and but it is good to bring up the point that it's um, two sided, like all things really. Yeah, um, it's funny that in America, the stereotype of the Christian is, you know, right wing, fanatical, there are a lot of negative stereotypes. And it's, it's very sad, because most Christians are, um, are not like that. I mean, there are many, there are hundreds of denominations, actually, in the United States. And we don't have that stereotype in Germany. And so what you do see is when um, 
when these oil magnates want to support some kind of climate skeptic um, organization in Germany, they're more likely to present themselves as scientists, skeptical scientists. And in the US, it's more effective for them to pretend that they have some kind of religious motivation, although most Christians in the United States aren't right wing fundamentalist Christians. There's great variety. There are Quakers and there are Episcopalians and Presbyterians. And there are a lot of people who are sort of a little bit religious but not very much. And so it's sad that everything is polarized and everything is framed as either you are a true Christian and you're against uh, any concept of climate change or you're some sort of atheist uh, demon from hell who wants to have a one world government. Um, I'll just add this really fast. Um, just kind of like reiterating what Tabitha was saying about like polarization. Um, I feel like it's a really big issue in the US. Like it's always like, oh, are you a Democrat or are you Republican? It's never like, what do you think? I feel like it's always like you have to be either one or the other instead of somewhere in the middle. And it's kind of like what was mentioned in the climate skepticism reading about um, you can make a prediction on Americans' beliefs on climate change based on their other political beliefs, even though it doesn't even, you know, kind of relate to other political ideas. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, you and see guys a question, because I've had my fair share of conversations with people who are skeptical about climate change, but like the conversations were mostly a bit frustrating, but always kind of polite, and they never got like screaming at each other or being any kind of violent. And I just was wondering whether you guys had other experiences. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, like this regionality that we experience here in the US, a very specific example of this polarization on an extreme scale that I think all the UNC students can definitely attest to is there is an individual that will come onto an area of campus and we call him the quote unquote pit preacher, but this man comes into a student area that students typically tend to congregate in and hang out in and he will preach per se slash EL um, American conservative views that he is saying he's basing off of religion, Christianity, and the Bible. And I just, as soon as you brought up that, I just immediately thought of like that harsh uh, environment and exposure that we have here at Chapel Hill. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think that that's a great example to bring up Cassidy. Um, we were talking about this a bit in class. Um, I don't remember which class, but just the fact that People in America, because they're so ingrained in their own beliefs and use echo chambers through media to, you know, further their own political views rather than expanding their their minds to 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 learn more about other people's views, there's really not, in my opinion, a lot of healthy, calm um, conversations that happen when when you're talking to someone that's the of the other um, political party affiliation. Um, especially. And I think it's really sad. I mean, it's even to the point where I'm sure some UNC students have, have, um, have experienced this in classes where you're talking about important topics that matter. And if you are even slightly in a disagreement with the majority opinion, you're somewhat afraid to, to voice your opinions um, because you're, you know, you'll get some very violent, harsh backlash, which is um, pretty sad, in my opinion, that we can't have a civil discourse. So I personally have not had that experience with um, on a climate change or climate skepticism topic. As I said, this is really my first uh, time really delving into this topic and about the different perspectives on it. But in general, uh, Hannah, I would say that that's not the experience that Americans would um, could uh, could relate to. Um, yeah, I'm going to jump in. Um, I'm from a like majority 
uh, conservative town. And like growing up, these conversations just weren't had, like just because everyone, you know, you were raised to have a certain perspective and opinion. And so that's what I came into college like with. And so once I got to UNC, I mean, it was just like a culture shock. It really was just because everything was so different here. It's, it's kind of strange because, you know, North Carolina, certain parts are very right wing and very conservative. And then Chapel Hill is kind of just this little bubble that's, you know, more open. Um, and so my views have definitely changed since I got to Chapel Hill. Um, yeah, I think the conversations are easier to be had here than in other places, but, but yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, back home where I'm from, I mean, like I said, these conversations, like you, you just can't have them. And I think that's the case for a lot of places in America that are really dominated by one side or another is that you're raised to believe a certain thing. And so these conversations just aren't even had and these beliefs are just either with you or they're not. Yeah, so, I mean, we've obviously addressed that there is like, I guess a culture shock per se um, in the respective countries that we currently abide in. Uh, but going off of that, I wanted to talk of like a historical cultural approach, I guess. Um, in the Good Body publication that we read, Climate Skepsis, it was spoke upon about how there is a like cultural tradition um, and a sort of like national identity for embracing like environmental policy and green growth. And it even went on to say that Germany was a laboratory for green growth. Um, and I just wanted to address the fact that there's like this close self-identity that this article is making it seem like Germany has with like one for the forest, like with the forest, it even said, like identifying with nature and just embracing protecting it versus what we had. It was like, it spoke upon like 18th and 19th century, excuse me, um, works of art and writing. And we had a similar uh, like period in America, but that obviously didn't lead us into any sort of cultural embracement of environmental policy because we're still clearly polarized on the issue but a point that I wanted to bring up branches into transcendentalism from the 19th century in America, where Henry David Thoreau straight up wrote Walden and it was all about going and being one with nature and finding yourself close to God. And again, our nation is still utterly polarized on this climate skepticism issue, but then Germany was able to come off of literary works that embraced and romanticized naturalism and just being one with the environment was able to move into this post-World War II positive identity and America is still stuck in this polarization. Okay, so I'm gonna jump in here. Um, yeah, you see a lot of differences between the United States and Germany. I wouldn't want to overly romanticize the German environmental movement. It is a strong movement here, but not everybody is a radical environmentalist. But what happens in Germany is, like I said, we do have um, a, a tradition of cooperation and social democracy with parties trying to work together. And so even if... Um, 20% of the population are strong environmentalists. That has a huge social impact. And uh, America's political system is based on winner takes all. There are only two parties. And um, it's, it's, there's the, this framing of everything as either or. And um, also another problem is in the United States, you see um, this tradition of individualism which means it's every man for himself. I'm only responsible for what I do, but with collective problems, you really do need collective solutions. And this is the problem in the US right now. And there's this whole distrust of big government. And um, another thing we have to look at is the way things have changed over the past 30 odd years. I'm probably the oldest person here, I'm guessing I am. And I remember when I was a kid, the 
political discussion was not as polarized as it is now. And we've seen over the past 20, 30 years, Germany has gone in one direction towards becoming more environmentally conscious. And the United States has been drifting further and further to the right. And um, I think that maybe in the 60s or 70s, both countries were about in the same area. And keep in mind that most voters in both countries are centrists, but you don't have a centrist party or rather you have far right and center left, you don't have the variety that we have in Germany. Um, growing up in the United States, I often felt a little bit odd. My mother is German, my father is from Texas, and um, but neither of them were political conservatives, maybe morally conservatives, but both were um, had, been much molded by their experiences, their bad experiences with, um, yeah, fascists or racists or what have you. And so um, my father actually was um, um, a minister for a while, a congregationalist and disciples of Christ minister. And he was interested in the social gospel. And my mother grew up during Nazi Germany and was totally turned off by it. and proved it by marrying an American. So, um, so you see how both countries were probably centrist, liberal, um, you know, with some religious conservatives. There are religious conservatives in every country and, and there, there are also some conservative Catholics in Bavaria, there are some there are some, you know, conservative groups here. We've got Baptists, we've got some fundamentalists, but they are such small groups in Germany, they don't play a big role in the society. And they certainly play no role in politics because Germany also tends to separate your private religious beliefs from your politics. So I honestly, when I read that text on climate skepticism, I think we got off too good in Germany. Like I just, I read it and I was like, not really the reality that I've, I've experienced. Cause I don't know, they were like, I, I, still, I still can't get over the fact that we're like probably one of the only countries who managed to exit the nuclear exit. So like we've already had plans to get out of nuclear energy and then re-entered that and only exited again because Fukushima happens. So that's like just so absurd. And also I think, I think yes, we're not as divided on environmental questions as you guys are. But for example, here in Bavaria, um, where we live, you have a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, we're totally pro renewable energies and pro onshore wind farms, but please not here because it's not pretty like put them somewhere else. And so I feel like that's kind of the culmination of a lot of attitude towards environmental policies. And also I, last year I took a seminar with one of the, um, with a scientist from the Wuppertal Institute for Energy and Renewable, I don't know, it was in the text. And she was, that was in March. And she was so disheartened at the fact that at the climate conference in 2015, Germany kind of positioned themselves in this like positive example role of having this goal for um, 2020. And in March, she was like, we're never gonna hit that goal of reducing our CO2, CO2 outtake by 40%. And we only did because COVID happened and like kind of economy was like put down. But I don't know, I feel like that text depicts us wrongly i guess it's it's still a different reality here than for you guys in the us but it's like we're not that great <laughs> it comes across in that text yeah i mean reading climate skepticism i definitely like i was catching up on this vibe per se that germany was like super green doing great moving forward all that and i was like wow america's really just sitting here like like a sitting duck like what are we doing we need to hop on it um, <laughs> but then when we moved on reading Questioning the Doubt, it addressed 
uh, like actual climate skepticism in German newspapers. And I was like, oh, so there is actually like a slight presence of skepticism occurring. Again, not nearly to the polarized level that we have going on in America, but it addressed the fact that there is like not known much about climate skeptics, but they did set up a um, content analysis, uh, Kaiser and Romberg said in this article of uh, picking out different parts around, it was surrounding the um, COP17 conference that they analyzed in these newspapers to figure out more of how German skeptics approach skepticism itself. And they called it a critical discourse moment, COP17, which I thought was interesting, but it just went on to say like how critical undertones, excuse me, critical undertones were actually reported and identify the frames that like Chelsea talked about earlier. Um, and it went on to differentiate different types of like I guess we're not calling them climate skeptics in Germany, but challengers and contrarians. And I know Hannah said she had relatively friendly interactions with these challengers, but I wanted to note that in this article, they identified these climate deniers as people that either A, were questioning climate change existence, B, mankind's influence itself, and see the consequences of climate change. And again, they said there's not much known about climate skeptics, but I just thought it was interesting that just based off of these newspapers, off of this one environmental conference, that they could separate this small portion of climate skeptics. Yeah, Chelsea, what would you like to say? Oh, I mean, I just, I wanted to add that, um, I was seeing, it was surprising to see the parallel in, even though there's skeptics in Germany and the United States for different underlying reasons, those, you know, different sections or, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, the different type of skeptics are, they align in Germany and the United States, you know, whether that's uh, a mistrust in that it's, you know, due to human causes, that it just straight up doesn't exist. Those were all pretty much the same type of um, themes that you saw in both places. And one of them was um, with the anthropogenic climate change and human impact. I, I don't know if um, you, Hannah and Tabitha watched Noah, the movie last night, but we um, had to watch that for class and it was just depicting the story behind Noah's Ark. And at, for most of the movie, um, I kind of viewed it as fairly anti-human, which I, which we were reading about in um, in one of the readings that that's how climate skeptics in Germany sometimes view environmentalists as just anti-human, um, believing that uh, that you know they are reducing human existence to a slow form of suicide, which I thought was how the movie portrayed it. Um, so I wanted to see how how often that sentiment comes up in Germany, or if even um, if any UNC students have have specifically encountered that um, in the United States. So I haven't actually encountered that thing that environmentalists were being accused of being completely anti-human, but. I have heard and I've also experienced like really radical environmentalists who kind of come off as offensive. Like these are people who are totally zero waste and who judge everything you do. And the thing is, it's it's just a reality that it's it's not possible for a single person to live completely environmentally conscious because like you have to buy food somewhere and you can't completely control what you're doing. And so I feel like I've I've met environmentalists here kind of put me off and I'm like an environmental conscious person trying to do my best but like like we live in this in this complex society so we can't just change it one by one so I think that's also something that's probably off-putting for people who kind of lean more into the skepticism side who are like oh my god if we do something for climate change we will turn into these I don't know hippie radicals who grow their own food somewhere and who want to force us to I don't know just run around in, in Birkenstocks so that's kind of what I've encountered here. 
Yeah, there's often this perception that environmentalists are elitists. But I really think that the um, Fridays for Future movement has kind of turned this idea on its head. There's something about seeing a bunch of teenage kids who clearly aren't elitists, clearly aren't multimillionaires, clearly don't have some kind of agenda and seeing them on the streets and saying, look, we just want to have a future. I think that this perception is kind of changing. Also, it's interesting to note that the people who are promoting climate skepticism usually are multi-billionaires who work for the oil industry and they're certainly elitists. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think there's, it's funny how each, each group of people views each other in the same way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to see if there's any last uh, points on any of the readings or any last questions. Um, but I thought this was a really great discussion. And I loved having you guys here, Tabitha and Hannah, to, to give your perspective on things. It's really great to to be able to, to interact with someone from a different country and just see the, the similarities and differences in this, you know, collective problem to hopefully find collective solutions in the future. So I'll let Cassidy wrap it up. Yeah, off of that, I just wanted to say like, I appreciated the clarification that like, obviously we can read all the articles, all the publications that we want on climate skepticism that's not happening in America, but without getting like firsthand experience talking to you guys is the closest thing that we're gonna get. And I just appreciated you like honestly clarifying some things that like I would have really continued to think that Germany was like really moving forward and doing a lot better than where we stand in America. But I just appreciated that you leveled it out for me. <laughs> Yeah, just wanted to say thanks for having us. It's been really nice to kind of not only have theoretical texts, but actually to get to discuss it with you guys. It's been really fun. All right. Well, thank you to everyone. And this concludes our episode of In a Warming World. And we'll catch you next time. This project has been generously supported by UNC Chapel Hill's Office for the Vice Provosts for Global Affairs and the Chancellor's Global Education Fund through a collaborative online learning grant, as well as the Digital Humanities Lab in the Department of English and Comparative Literature. Music